0: Um, This morning we have Sandra Unger with us, and to introduce Sandra as a guest is a little bit like introducing your sister who's moved out of the house and is now coming back for lunch. It's like, she's just your sister, she's coming for lunch. But for those of you who don't know Sandra, uh, she has been on staff here, she has filled this pulpit many times in the past, and every time she does, and I'm looking forward to what she has today, it is always a meaty and challenging word. And so let's uh, welcome Sandra as she comes. Thanks for having me for lunch. So excited to see what you're going to feed at the end of the service. Well, I'm so happy that you're here. And Jesus and I are both surprised because it's 80 degrees in March in Minnesota. And... There's a special corner in heaven that you're all going to be in together, so (laughs) let's pray. God, we all thank you for this day and for this weather and for your presence, for your creation, and I pray that over these next minutes that we would really hear from you, that you would show up in a powerful way and speak to us and meet us right where we are. And I pray for those who are here who are struggling. I pray that they would leave knowing that you are with them. And I pray for all of us that we would be open even to hearing things that we don't want to hear. And we know that so often that's what the Spirit brings, but the Spirit also brings the power for transformation. And we thank you for your full presence with us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, for those of you who are a little older than a few other people in this room, myself included, um, I remember as a child going on a trip across country a couple of times and we had to go to something called AAA and get something called a trip tick. Anyone know what a trip tick is? Yeah, you are. Old. So <laughs> we would go in and against the wall of the auto club, they would have maps of the whole United States and each state would be broken into little pieces and it would kind of show what road construction was happening, although sometimes it was happening 6 months ago. Hard to keep those pieces of paper up to date and you'd walk out With this huge stack of papers about all the states you were going to drive through. And then my mom was the navigator, which was a little scary. And so she'd have this huge stack of maps and you'd be flipping them over and she'd be buried in them. And then you could seriously get off and drive the wrong way for an hour. And how are you going to know? This was the olden days. A few years ago, I got an iPhone and I found out there's a better way. And it involves saying, we're here, and we want to go there. And then it makes this purple line, and then it tells you to turn at all of these different places. So I was excited about this feature, and we were going to drive to Michigan, where we are from, and even though we've been there a million times, I thought I would put this feature to the test. And So I entered in where we were and where we were going, and I noticed this long purple line showed up, and then I noticed as we were driving that there was this little blue dot on the purple line. And the blue dot was moving because the blue dot was us. This is amazing. You, I mean, really? From a triptych with 5,000 pieces of outdated paper? I'm a blue, this is me. I'm, look, I'm saying to my kids who are in the backseat and they're teenagers, take out your headphones, people, do you see this blue dot? And they're like, what? Because to them, little spoiled little brats, it's normal, it's normal to hold a magic box and your car is on it and it's moving. They did not understand how profound this was. And so I missed the whole car trip because I was contemplating the universal and eternal significance of this blue deck. Seriously, I am still just transfixed by this dot. So for 12 hours, I'm staring at the dot, and my kids were kind of glad because I wasn't asking them personal and invasive questions like I usually do or making them sing idiotic car songs. I was just like, no, it's straight, and we're in Lake Michigan. You know how sometimes it goes, and then all of a sudden you're in Lake Michigan, and then it comes back? So this was what I did for 12 hours. And I would like to say that even though my my blue dot was sitting in the car, and my blue dot was present with the other three people in the car, I was not present with the other people in the car, because I was only concerned with this incredible piece of technology that I was holding, and the potential it held for world peace and transformation, and the apocalypse, and everything else. So today I want to talk about presence, and obviously this is a metaphor for the fact that sometimes our blue dot is sitting somewhere, but we are not, in fact, present. It's possible that all of your blue dots are sitting here, but very few of you are actually present. So we're going to work on that right now. Let's show up, people! Jesus is here. He's going to talk to us. Let's be here. Greg's been talking about presence of a different kind the last couple of weeks, the kind of presence where we are really aware of the presence of God and where we bring that presence with us and we stay engaged. And that is really, really, really important. But I want to talk about a different kind of presence. And this is about recognizing that sometimes our blue dot is sitting there, but we are not emotionally or psychologically or in any other way really present. And listening to those who we're with, we're not available, we're not engaged. And the quantity of things today that can keep us from being engaged, that can keep that misalignment between us and our blue dot has grown exponentially. So I thought about preaching a sermon about the evils of iPads, and laptops, and iPhones, and Twitter, and Flickr, and Pinterest, and Facebook, and YouTube, and Netflix. But the point that I want to make today is about we're not really present. And so I was thinking that I could blame the internet. But then I thought, there's probably something deeper here that we need to pay attention to. And so I want to talk about presence from two angles, and they overlap, but they're really two different things. And the first angle is just about being physically present and available to be somewhere where your friends and community need you. So when someone dies, when there's a health scare, when there's any kind of crisis or emergency, can you leave what you're doing and go there and be present with your community? But the second piece of that is, once you get there, are you really present? Or are you thinking, I hope this crisis doesn't take too long because I've got to do this and I've got to go to Target and I've got this list. Are you present? So the first question is, where is your blue dot? Does it go where it's needed? And the second question is, do you go with it? And those are the two kinds of presences we're going to talk about today. And I think there are three main things that keep us from being fully present where we need to be. And the first one is what we value. The second one is this never-ending kind of distraction that we have the capacity for and the third one is our lack of defined relationships. So let's talk about values. I wonder maybe if we're not present because we value other things more than being present. So we're busy because important people are busy, and we're distracted because cool people have distracting gadgets, and we're unable to respond to friends because our time is reserved for making money, we're overcommitted because that's what it takes to get ahead, and we have our kids overcommitted because we want them to be cool and popular and go to good colleges. And so then, if these things are true, then what we value is cool gadgets and power and making money and getting ahead and being popular and having popular children. Maybe. Let's look a little closer. Because none of these things are evil in and of themselves. But as we honestly look at our lives and evaluate how we're spending our time, is this 90% of the substance of our lives on a daily basis? Is it 75%, 99%? These, the pursuit of these earthly things? If you're like me, you've tried a variety of ways to stop the insanity and be present and slow down, to align your actual presence with the blue dot. And it might last a week, or a month, or an hour, or for the time period of Lent, and then you're back at it half here and half there, one foot out the door, eating dinner while talking on the phone, dealing with your kids while doing just about everything else. Your blue dot is there, but you're not really present. And I have a horrible story about this. Before the age of the blue dot, this was the magical age of email. Years ago, in the, probably in the late 90s, I was working here, and I realized my life is too busy, and i got to slow down a little bit. I have two elementary-age kids, and so I... Um, decided I'm going to cut down on seminary, I'm just going to take one class, and I'm going to stop having so many evening meetings, and I'm going to be here. And so my son, who is here this weekend, so um, he wanted me to tell an embarrassing story about myself that involves him. He came into my office at home and was trying to talk to me, and of course I was distracted because the magical email box was talking to me. And he finally said, Mom, you're never here. And I said, what are you talking about? I was very loving and non-defensive. What are you talking about? I have dropped out of a seminary class for you, and I have stopped all my evening meetings for you. What are you talking about? And he said, but even when you're here, you're not really here. In his nine-year-old wisdom, he saw that when my blue dot was sitting in the chair, it didn't necessarily mean that I was there. And his helpful nine-year-old feedback on my parenting style really launched me into figuring out and thinking about, what am I doing with my time? Because I had made some behavioral changes, but I hadn't really changed the core. I had brought my blue dot home, but I hadn't come with it. So this needs to be addressed at the level of values. And we all know that Jesus gave us a vision. And we've heard it, and while we say we believe it, we're not always sure how to act on it. And sometimes maybe we fear a loss of something if we slow down and be present and say no to things. And sometimes I think it might be a fear of our loss of identity. And as parents, we fear that our kids will suffer if we recreate their lives not in the image of their overbooked friends. And so we push our kids' blue dots from here to there to everywhere, and we have them in piano and soccer and basketball and basket weaving and photography and ski club. And in all this busyness, we sometimes forget Well, maybe even about our own childhoods, where we just played in the dirt sometimes, where we just sat, where we had family dinners, where our parents had the opportunity, if we were fortunate, to speak into our lives. And we forget that that kid that's running here and there everywhere seven days a week is an eternal soul that we can nurture, but we can only nurture by being present. And sometimes we think about this and we get a little bit worried. I did. But we didn't have a community to talk about it with, and we don't have a book that tells us how to deal with this. And we don't have a community, maybe, because our kids are each involved in 49 things, and we're involved in 49 things, and we're just hoping that sometime in the future things will slow down and we can get a grasp on it and figure it all out. But that time is not today, and so we just keep running. And our blue dot skitters across the surface of life into the grocery store, to the soccer field, to the basketball, to the school, to work, to home, to McDonald's. And even though we're all in this situation together, we're really all in it together alone. We're blue dots that just frantically pass one another in the night, waving hello. And just changing our schedule does not get at this core issue because again, it's values. One of the main things that the society in the 21st century that we're immersed in, one of the main things it values is quantity, big, so we want more, Houses, and more bedrooms, and more money, and more jobs, and more things on our calendar, and more sports, and on, and on, and on. And this message comes at us everywhere, all the time. And I I was reading a book called Common Fire a couple of weeks ago, and I came across a quote that I thought had a lot to say about this. Take a look. Remember always that human need is infinite, and that the number five bears the same relationship to infinity as does the number five million. Therefore, wise persons are going to make conscious decisions that have a qualitative impact on infinity rather than a quantitative one. Well, if you're the kind of person who hears a mathematical term like infinity and your head goes, we're going to talk about this for just a minute. So infinity means the numbers go on forever. So when you get to the very, 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 very highest number you can imagine, then you just add one. Then you add another one, and another one, and another one. So that's what infinity is. It goes on forever, which means in reality that the number five is just as close to infinity as the number five million. So what this author is saying is because the level of needs on this planet are infinite, they go on forever and they will go on forever, we cannot make a dent always by trying to deal with quantity all the time. And so let's be wise and let's dig down deep and let's do something qualitative to impact eternity rather than trying to do something quantitative to impact infinity. It just doesn't work that way. But the question we ask is, what is a qualitative impact? If I don't want to just try to do quantity, because there's just so many needs and I can never meet them, and I decide I'm going to do this qualitative thing, well, what would that look like, and how do I make one? And if the need is infinite, how do I decide which need to jump into? If I'm going to let my blue dot sit somewhere for a spell, where would that be? And these questions are so hard that we just decide to go play Words With Friends instead or watch reality TV, or catch up with our 112 closest Facebook friends, or engage in mafia wars, or put a bird in a slingshot and kill a few pigs, and I know you are out there. We <laughs> have got some angry birds here. And this leads us into our second barrier to being present. There's values, and then there's these ever-present distractions. I have some sort of alarming statistics about Internet use and such things, the average person spends 81 minutes per day on mobile apps, 74 on the web. That's 77 and a half hours per month. There are 500,000 iPhone apps available right now, and there are more than 2.5 million websites that have integrated with Facebook. Users on YouTube spend a total of 2.9 billion, billion hours per month. And in case you can't calculate that quickly, that's 326,000. 294 years spent or wasted on YouTube every month. People upload 3,000 images to Flickr. Do you know what Flickr is? So, site where you share your um, photos. So, 3,000 photos every... guess Minute? Minute. I was hoping it was a year. You know, I mean, let's just slow down, people. Nope, 3,000 every minute. Twitter handles 1.6 billion queries every day. And Twitter added nearly 55,000 users every single day in 2011. So if you want to be distracted, look around! (laughs) The opportunities are endless. And really, this is what's really ironic to me. We all feel stressed and overbusy, and we can't commit, and we feel bad saying no to things, and we're overwhelmed, and we don't have enough time to sleep, and we're eating fast food, and we know we should exercise, we're completely overwhelmed, But the stats about the amount of time we spend online show that we are spending the equivalent of two full work weeks every month doing almost nothing. Surfing the web, playing with apps, playing games. And I'm wondering, if we're so busy, why don't we just stop doing that? It'd free up a whole lot of time. And author Oliver Berkman has a theory about this. He says, telling ourselves we're hugely stressed makes us feel important, in demand and even energized. It also gives us permission to avoid confronting deeper issues. So distraction is not simply this outside force that we have to deal with, but it's maybe something we actually welcome in. Berkman continues, busyness is a perfect excuse. If you're convinced that you're overstretched and overwhelmed, you're spared the terrifying prospect of actually doing the things and making the changes you want. In other words, it's not that we are so busy we can't be present. Rather, we don't want to be present, and so we're busy. We're not so busy that we can't be present. We don't want to be present, and so we're busy. We say we're busy, and then we spend 15 hours a week on Facebook. So what does busy even mean? Because we all use the word busy, and most of us, not all of us, most of us are wasting a lot of time doing a lot of unnecessary things. Does it count as busy if we're spending 80 hours a month on the Internet? And I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking, if, I, if my neighbor asks me to move and I was like, oh, I'm too busy to help you move because I've got this problem in my neighborhood with these pigs and these birds, and apparently these pigs were stealing the birds' eggs, and so I've got to go round up some birds, and so I'm so sorry I can't help you move. That's not going to go over well. It goes over better if we say, oh, I'm so stressed at work and we've had some people quit and I've got to work extra this weekend and so I can't help you move. But then so we sneak off and we play Angry Birds instead. Maybe, maybe this is happening. We don't want to be present and so we're busy instead. These, all these things at least partially contribute to the lack of alignment between our blue dot and our real selves. Sometimes I realize that in a stressful world we need to kick back we need to surf the web, and we need to fling some birds at some pigs. I realize that. But if you're spending more time with the angry birds than you're spending with your family, then there's a little bit of a problem. Or if all of the time that you're spending with your family also involves the angry birds, also maybe a problem. (laughs) So besides values and distractions, the third thing that can get in the way of being fully present is our lack of defined relationships. So, most of us have lots and lots of relationships all across lots and lots of areas where our life is engaged. So, we have friends at school, we have friends at work, we have friends on our kids' soccer team, we have friends at church, we have friends in our neighborhood, we have friends from the past. And it goes on and on and on and on. And most of these relationships are not defined. So, we rarely say, okay, I really like you guys, you're gonna be my best friends, and you're gonna be my second best friends and I don't really like you people too much, so how about you don't come over? <laughs> we don't know what the expectations are. So everybody everywhere wants a piece of our time. Will you help with the silent auction? Will you come and volunteer for this? And can you drop my kid off? Will you pick the food up? and We gotta go to the grocery store. And we don't know where to put our time because constant demands are coming. I understand why we play Angry Birds, because there's all these people who want things from us, and all I have to do is put a pig, no, a bird in a slingshot. That's all I have to do, and I can do that. But I don't know what to do about the silent auction and all of these demands all the time, and this person wants more time than I can give, and I, I just don't know what to do. So it makes sense that we turn to the social media and the things that we can put barriers up. It makes sense. But it's not whole, and it's not healthy, and it doesn't result in healthy relationships where we're fully present. So we have all these relationships, and we're saying, well, okay, let's just say I'm going to give this a try. I'm going to get less busy, and I'm going to be fully present with people, who would those people be? And our inability to answer this question gets in the way of us making changes, because we intuitively realize that to be present with everyone means we are present with no one. And so here's my answer, and this is going to be very profound. You need to get your pens out. Pick someone! (laughs) I'm not trying to be flippant, because the reality is this is hard work, it's a lifelong endeavor, It takes time to build a relationship deep. You have to resolve conflict. You have to work through issues. It's absolutely incredibly worthwhile, but it takes time, and you just got to jump in. So when I say pick someone, I mean look around in your life at the people that you've spent some time with, people you have an affinity with, maybe people who live near you, and say, let's go deeper. And I should offer the aside that when you pick someone, it needs to be someone who picks you, too. (laughs) Just a word to the wise. I've seen it happen. Greg Boyd can't be everyone's best friend. (laughs) Let's look at the example of Jesus, because that's just a great place to go for a very profound and a very concrete example. John was called the disciple whom Jesus loved. So we might say John was Jesus' BFF. We might. We probably shouldn't, but we might. And then Jesus was very close with an inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John. And then he was very intentional with 12 who were his disciples that he chose. And then as they traveled together, other people would pick up and say, I want to do this too. And so they had other people following along behind him. And then what happened was Jesus would meet the needs that came along. So there would be lepers or grieving parents or people with questions or children or broken people, and he would stop and engage. And I think this is really, really critical, this how Jesus structured this, because it was the community that surrounded him, Jesus in his full humanity, that enabled him to go into the world and face the crowds and the level of needs. So he would go and people would be pulling on him and touching him and wanting healing and grasping after him and following him. And he would meet needs and he would speak and he would heal. And then he would turn back to his 12 and to his 3 and to his 1. And he would get his tank filled. And he would turn to his heavenly father and he would get his tank filled. And this was the structure that made his ministry possible. And our structure today is just go out and do stuff. Go out and do a whole lot of stuff with a lot of people because there's a qualitative, quantitative problem out here with an infinity number of people and you better get out there for the kingdom and do it. So we go out there alone and unsupported without the structure of relationships and everybody wants something and we fry and we say, forget it, I'm going to play Angry Birds. And that's what's happening. But Jesus showed a whole different way. He had a very solid and intentional structure. This didn't just happen with Jesus. Jesus was modeling how to be fully human and he showed you need deep relationships, and you need people with you in your ministry, and you need people to support you, and you need to spend time with the Father, as Greg has been stressing the last couple of weeks. This is what needs to happen. Now, you might not be clear on how to form relationships like that. After all, we don't all have the relational skills. None of us have the relational skills that Jesus had. But this isn't something that you can do tomorrow. You can't get up on Monday and say, okay, I'm going to put this into action today, and we're going to be all set by Tuesday. This is something that is a lifelong journey. It's one of those things that is worth investing all of ourselves in over all of our lives because it's these kind of relationships we were created for. And that brings us back to the question of values because we always have time for what we want to do, pretty much. We make time for the things that are important. So it's possible that we don't want, we don't think we want relationships like this or we're scared of it so we find other things to do. But I really believe that these kind of relationships are what our heart values most of all. It's what we desire. Even if we don't know it, these are the kind of relationships that we're created for, where we're fully present. We're going to watch a video um, today about a man who, through some really difficult times in his life, has challenged people to think deeply about the meaning of presence. Take a look. Because of copyright restrictions, we are unable to include this video in our sermon downloads. However, you can go to www.flannel.org and search for My Garden and watch the video for $1. I've watched that about 20 times, hoping to gain wisdom from someone who's on a rough journey. But I just wonder, do we have to get a terminal disease to learn this? So let me throw out this vision. We gather a little community around us, and hopefully they don't all look just like us, and hopefully they don't all think just like us. And we say, these are my people. And we serve the world together in the name of Jesus. We are present with one another. We reach out to be present to those who need us. We help one another not get burned out. We're honest about our failings. We hold each other accountable. And our blue dots sit together, and we always make sure that there's a real person behind the blue dot. This is not the way of the world, and it's not even the way of the church anymore. Do we value this kind of living, this kind of presence, these kind of relationships so much that we're willing to make some changes, that we're willing to make some hard sacrifices? Jesus was so present with people in their pain and in their suffering and in their joy And he would rebuke his disciples because they were always trying to shoo people away from him. And he would get annoyed and say, let them come, let the children come. And he would be there for those seeking healing and questioners and grieving parents and fallen women. He really lived out the importance of being present. And this was his priority. And we know what a huge priority it was when we look at this last prayer that he prayed to his father before he was condemned to die on the cross. This prayer is found in John 17. I ask not only on behalf of these but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me." You see a little theme coming out? In just four short verses, Jesus pours his heart out before his heavenly Father and says, let them be one. Let them be one as much as you and I are one. And let this oneness show the world that I'm real, that God loves them. There's nothing here about skittering across the top of life, about having too many relationships and no time to grow them deeper. Instead, he pours out this incredible longing that his followers would be one and that it would show the world a different way. I want to tell a couple of examples from my own life where this happened. One of them was a few years ago when my dad passed away, and it was in Michigan, and we were trying to gather all of the family and the kids who were away at college to be there for their grandpa's funeral. And my friend Janice, uh, from the Twin Cities here, called to say, where's the funeral being held? And I assumed she wanted to send flowers. And so imagine my surprise when I got up in the morning of the funeral and went over to the funeral home and found our friends Daryl and Janice had driven 12 hours from Minnesota to go to my dad's one-hour funeral. And what they said without saying anything was, even though we have a few kids and even though we have full-time jobs, you are a priority and you are not alone in this really difficult time, and we are here with you, fully present. And it was an absolutely powerful demonstration of the kingdom, both to us and to our families, who thought they were crazy. And wonderful. And then the second thing happened recently, which is, some of you know my friend Ernest. Ernest, who's shouting out over here. He, uh, he's been up here with me before, and he's kind of a character on the east side, and he's part of our community. And he, at the end of January, he got really sick and ended up in Regions Hospital and in a rehab center for six weeks, really struggling with a lot of physical ailments. And we thought he was gonna die. And right away, our community went to work and said, Ernest is gonna feel loved, and he's never gonna be alone. And so from morning till evening, every day for the month he was in Regions, we had coordinated somebody to be in the hospital room with him to show him we cared and to love him and to be present with him. And sometimes it was one person, sometimes it was two, sometimes it was a party happening in the room. And what you might think is that the staff at Regions would think, get these people out of here. But what we heard over and over from all different kinds of people, doctors, nurses, everybody, was... This is absolutely amazing. Who are you people? We've never seen a church like this. And they couldn't quite tell. They were like, are you family? Except for that we, were, we didn't all look the same. We had black people and white people. And they couldn't figure out, what are you all doing here? And we would just say, we are part of a church community and we love Ernest. And we're going to be here for him. We're going to advocate for him. And he owes us big time. And he's alive. He made it through. He's here. Now we're trying to fatten him up. But what I actually thought was, we're doing John 17. I am so honored to be a part of a community that's doing John 17, where all the people in the hospital are saying, this is, these are relationships we haven't seen before. This looks really different to us. And it was compelling, and it was engaging, and it was the work of God. And the goal in our community on the east side of St. Paul is that when people are struggling, whether it's their health or their marriage or whatever their issue, that they know they are not alone, that someone is with them. And the other thing we try to model is not only do they know they're not alone, but they have a place to come and say, I'm struggling. Our marriage is difficult. I'm struggling with drugs. I'm struggling with drinking. Things aren't going well at our house. And this is what happens regularly in our community because this is the community of Christ where we come there and we're fully present and being fully present means we're fully honest with what's going on and we love and we support. That's the goal. We're not perfect, that's the goal. In the film, Ed Dobson says that when you realize things are coming to a close, you only do the things that are important. And what this film makes me ask is what if we only did the things that are important all the time and not just when we're dying? Again, there are an infinite number of things to be done, and we need to focus on quality and not quantity. And this likely requires that we say no to good things. For everything that I say yes to, I say no to other things. And it's not because I'm busy. This is what people always think. You're busy, I don't want to bother you. But it's because I'm committed to not being busy and frantic and overstressed and overbooked. Because if I'm busy and I'm frantic and I'm overstressed and I'm overbooked, then when Ernest goes in Regent's hospital, I can't be present. And when someone's having a marriage problem and needs help, I can't be present. And when someone needs a listening ear, I can't be present. And so our community of 1 and 3 and 12 on the east side of St. Paul tries to say, let's structure our lives such that we're not frantic and busy and crazy, so that when there's a need, we can respond. That's the goal. Again, we're all on a journey. And for those of you who know me, you know I'm a person of distraction. I I was trying to read a book while I was preaching last night, but some people noticed. I'm always trying to multitask. So I want to read while I'm watching TV and read while I'm on the phone and read while I'm playing tennis. That doesn't work well. Also, reading while driving doesn't work well. But this is kind of how I'm set up. I want to be doing a whole bunch of things at the same time. And so I'm on this journey with you of saying, no, let's focus. Let's set aside the text and set aside the email and look at the person sitting across from you and be fully present. This is the calling, this is the journey. And one thing that I come back to, I shared this quote a few years ago when I was here from Henry Nowen. and Henry Nowen was a very important person who taught at Yale and Harvard. In the last 10 years of his life, he worked with severely disabled adults, and this is what he has to say about his journey. More and more, the desire grows in me simply to walk around, greet people, enter their homes, sit on their doorsteps, play ball, throw water, and be known as someone who wants to live with them. It is a privilege to have the time to practice the simple ministry of presence. Still, it is not as simple as it seems. My own desire to be useful, to do something significant, or to be part of some impressive project is so strong that soon my life is taken up by meetings, conferences, study groups, and workshops that prevent me from walking the streets. It is difficult not to have plans, not to organize people around an urgent cause, and not to feel that you are working directly for social progress. But I wonder more and more if the first thing shouldn't be to know people by name, to eat and drink with them, to listen to their stories and tell your own, and to let them know with words, handshakes, and hugs that you do not simply like them, but truly love them. So how are we doing at aligning our full presence with our blue dot? The distracted way we live our lives precludes us from being fully present with one another, and it erodes our capacity for sustained and meaningful relationships. It also erodes the message that Jesus wanted us as a community to bring to the world around us. However, being present, on the other hand, brings the most powerful witness to the truth of go- the gospel that I can imagine. So I have three pieces of homework for you this week. The first one is to unplug for a while and evaluate if the way you spend your time lines up with the, way, with the things you say that you value. So if you say that you value family, Are you spending time with family? And the second is to pay pay, pay attention to the role technology is playing in your life. Are you using it here and there to unwind, or are you using it as a barrier against engaging the deep parts of life? It's always easier to play solitaire than to work on your marriage or your parenting. And the third thing is to take steps to start defining your relationships. Remember the pick someone part. Who is your one? Who are your three? Who are your twelve? And what interruptions will keep you from developing these relationships? And what interruptions are actually divine appointments that lead you closer to a serving community that engages in kingdom work? As you leave, I've brought you a, I've brought you a present sitting by the back door in baskets. are blue dots, yes, for each of you, and this is a reminder you can stick it on your mirror or your phone or your window or whatever to look at it and say, how am I doing on these things? How am I doing at setting aside the birds and pigs and being fully present with the person sitting across from me? And this isn't a message of shame or something that's horrifying that you wish you hadn't heard. That's not the point. The point is to say, we can do better, all of us together. We're all immersed in this culture of distraction. And let's together, as people of Jesus say, we can do better. And that's what this dot represents. It's not a shaming dot that says, Yeah, nee, you're doing horrible. It's a happy dot that says, we can do this by the power of Jesus. Yes. I'm going to close this in prayer, but I want to remind you that there's prayer warriors up here at the front um, if you need prayer for anything. And also visit the AWOL missions table and help them get that $3,000 house built. That would be awesome. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity for transformation. And not only that, but for the fact that we're not alone in it, that you are with us, that you desire that we become fully present people, and that you model that by being fully present with us all the time. You're available, you're accessible. And I pray that we would hear your voice, that we would know your presence, especially as we undertake this task of becoming fully present with others. And for those here who feel alone, I pray that you would surround them with your people. And I pray that this community would really be a place that would engage the other, those who maybe haven't fit in, those who are looking for any friend, those who are struggling and suffering alone. I just pray that they would be embraced, and I pray that this would be a week when someone would reach out to them. I pray comfort for everyone here who's feeling alone. I just pray that you would touch them. Thank you for a kingdom where these kind of relationships are possible. And I pray that as we leave here, that each of us would remember that you are with us. And we pray these things in the strong and present name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you.